listening to Buggy Talk, where some of your favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fertikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have award-winning author Murray Pura. Hello, Murray. Hey, how are you doing, Tracy? I am good. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have so many great things to chat about, one being the Amish menorah and other stories, along with some of your other projects. Um, I am so excited to hear about this new collection that you've written with the men of Amish fiction, which, you know, it's only been probably a couple months since I heard that term, and I don't know why I hadn't heard it before, but how did the men of Amish fiction come about? Well, the term isn't even that old anyway, uh, Tracy. Uh, I think, uh, well, you know the publishing industry, and you will know in, in certain genres, 75% of the leadership of the readership is, is female. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in terms of the writing in the genre of Amish or Amish romance, it's probably about 99.9% .9 female authors, right? Right. So who are these guys? Exactly. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is over the years, I haven't all, well, I haven't always written Amish, but it was the only way I could get into the American market. And I had to, and that was with Barber some years, not well, maybe seven years. Um, but they were saying, well, if you want to break into the American market, here's this opportunity. We want you to write this thing. And, but it has to be Amish. Oh my and I'm going, Oh, please. <laughs> you know, it was just to me, not what I wanted to write. But anyways, I made it happen. I combined a couple of genres actually with the Amish ones. So that I felt more, more satisfied. That tends to be my way of being more of a hybrid when it comes to something like that. Um, but, you know, I was quite conscious of a, a certain attitude, not, not completely prevalent, but certainly there, that a man does not know how to write romance. A man does not understand romance. He does not know how to romance. Or he might have known at university, but he forgot. <laughs> and except, well, it, it's just this thing, guys don't know romance. And that, I don't know how many times I've had... Um, women friends, you know, at, at churches say, can you do a seminar on this? I said, I'm sure the guys would really be thrilled. <laughs> you know, their wives make them attend a seminar by me on being romantic husbands and boyfriends and fiancés. I said, I will be strung up <laughs> by the nearest tree. But um, there, there was that kind of a, a bit of a prejudice that the guys can't do this. They don't get it. You know, they really don't get it. And of course, the truth is, as, as many women with happy relationships know, whether they're uh, it's boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, uh, fiance, or even just friendships, some guys can be extremely romantic. They know what to do. They know what to do. They, they don't forget the birthdays. They don't forget the anniversary. They know about candles. They know about roses. They know about doing something special. They know that their female uh, partners, wives, friends, they, they know they love jewelry, perfume, um, that they love being treated with, with gentleness and compassion. Um, you know, all kinds of things. So I think with this then, it was kind of like the genre is so dominated by female authors uh, and there was almost a sense that, well, what are you guys doing here? What do you know about Amish romance? How can you? 
even though none of them are Amish. But anyway, um, it was more, I think, like, what, what can you possibly know about writing a book where boy meets girl and, you know, they fall in love in an Amish setting. So we said, you know what? Two things. First of all, we can write it, and most all of us have, and we've had good sales. But here's the other thing. Some of the stuff being written is just not really truthful to what we know of the Amish experience. It, it's not Disneyland. Mm -hmm. It's not all dolls and daffodils. This mm -hmm. can be a very hard life. They have to deal with issues. They have drama. Um, they, they have sin. And they need, you know, recovery. They need uh, redemption. They need restoration just like the rest of us do, like the rest of the world. Because there can be an attitude like, well, you know, there's nothing really goes wrong in those communities. Everything just kind of flows along at a buggy space. So we decided to say, well, first of all, we can write this stuff. We have and we will. And, um, and there's always all kinds of anthologies with female writers that the guys are rarely invited to be part of. So we said, okay, we're going to put an anthology together and we're going to write and we want it to be a little bit different just in the sense that maybe being a little bit more honest about the struggle of living the Amish life within a world that isn't and and the concerns that can happen within the community so that's how that started uh, the six of us got together these are the ones we know of there may be some others but not too many the you know uh, some of these guys have been writing for years like Jerry Eicher uh, and, and of course, we all have large female audience following us. Right. Um, so which proves, kind of proves our point that, yeah, we can talk about this. So that's how that started. Well, who, can, can you name the six men again? I mean, I know who they are. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, okay. Well, you've got, well, you know Patrick Craig. Right. Uh, uh, who now lives in Idaho, and he's a, uh, been a friend for years and we've collaborated in other projects as well that aren't Amish. There's Tom Nye and he farms in, in you know, an uh, area where there's a lot of Amish near him. There's Jerry Eicher. Uh, uh, he's written lots of books over the years about the Amish. There's Amos Wise. He's written on the Amish on his own. And there's Willard Carpenter. So there's five other guys besides me, Tom and Patrick and Jerry and Amos and Will. And uh, we all, you know, you kind of meet online and they, some of them have gone to Amish, uh, I guess, fan gatherings uh, in Amish country, uh, Shibashwana yep. and places like that. Yeah, that, they just did I one. Met, they were, I met Patrick. Is that where you met Pat? Yeah, I met Patrick and Thomas in Shibashwana last year. Okay, so that would have been last year. And of course, this year couldn't happen. Um, so yeah, you know, so we have a... Actually, I don't think I've met any of them face to face. No. But Pat, Pat and I have talked a lot, um, not only online, but just the way we're doing now. We've used uh, Skype and Zoom and whatever. I don't think anybody uses Skype anymore, but mm -hmm. we use Zoom and just phone. Um, and we just encourage each other. And like I said, um, there's a big. We have we have a a really nice gathering, uh, largely female. But, but I, I will say. We're trying to figure out how to reach male readers. And it's, it's difficult because the conception out there is that these are chick books, you know, um, that, that, you know, only a woman's going to be interested 
um, it's going to be in such a way that it's going to be like a hallmark. And uh, we wanted to get away from the hallmark thing. We wanted to get away. And not that you can't have some really nice, pleasant experiences with hallmark, though sometimes they do go over the top um, with, you know, frilly and, and fuzzy. <laughs> so we, we well, I, I've watched some where I've had a good time, and then other ones I just can't stand. It. <laughs> it's, it's just too saccharine. It's too sweet. It's too you know, it's too delicious. flawless. And, and we wanted to get away from that. I said, well, look, um, the Amish we're all fascinated by the culture you know here you have this pacifist element that isn't going away it's not shrinking like people said it would it's not and there it is in the middle of america and you know america is a very patriotic nation and it's the largest military in the world so there they are and some people don't understand their lack of support for the military the amish generally you know don't i mean they're not again they don't say things against it but you're not going to always find them flying the flag and saluting the flag, right? So this can antagonize some people. And there they are, you know. Um, and there's been times of persecution. World War I was not great. Um, the revolution was not great. Other times they weathered it better and people kind of left them alone in World War II and Vietnam. But there were other times where it was, it was, it was rough. That's to for us, part of the fascination. And we want to say, okay, how does, how does this still keep happening? You know, how do they keep living this way? And how do they deal with the hard things just like we have? And they're human. They're human, just like us. They have the same struggles. Yes. They have the same challenges, just, just like we do. And, you know, I, I think that when people read the Amish genre, you're going to get two groups. You're going to get one that wants the white picket fence and you're going to want a group that really wants to hear that they are human and they have daily struggles just like, just like the rest of us do. So I, I think that our readers are split down the middle. And I think that what you guys are doing is awesome because people need to hear that there is a real side to the Amish and it's not all sunshines and rainbows, you know? Yeah, thank you, Chase. That's exactly so. We 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 have less in common uh, with the group that just wants it all to be frilly, right. well, romanticized, right? Right. right. Uh, so that it's not even like real life. That's why I said Disneyland, Amish, um, and and then you have the others that saying, "Well, we still want to see the beauty of the Amish life, but we'd like to know how they deal with the hard things, you know, with rebellious teenagers or, you know, um, a death too soon." Uh, one of the books I wrote for, you, you, I think all of us usually write a Christmas story. It seems mm -hmm. to be the requirement. It is. <laughs> and, um, but again, there, I know I had one where the grandfather is, is not only just dying, but willing to die. Want, I mean, he's willing himself to die. He does not want to live anymore. Of course, I know for some people, oh, come on, he's a Amish, he's a Christian. Why wouldn't he want to live? Well, he doesn't. He's depressed. His wife died er a few years earlier. He can't get over missing her. Nothing's the same. He doesn't really want to be here anymore. So he's lost the will to fight back illnesses and live. And we all know what that's like. Usually there's been someone we knew of or even in our own family who kind of just gave up on life. And that was the story. Of course, it being a Christmas story, <laughs> you can't you can't let him die. Or if exactly. he's going to die, it has to be very it has to be very beautiful. It has to be angels. But um, 
nevertheless, it, uh, most of the story, as I say, three quarters of the story about them trying to get him to want to live and him pushing back and not wanting to, even though at one time he was kind of like the spiritual leader in the community uh, and in the family, you know, the, the, the great-grandfather who had an unshakable face. So, you know, but like I said, we all run into these things. We've, we've felt them ourselves. There's been times in our lives, right, where we feel stronger in our faith and other times we don't. And um, we can identify. Exactly. Well, real quick, tell us the name of that, that Christmas book that you're talking about, because we did talk about it a little bit and somebody may want to go look for it. So what was the name yeah. of that one? Abigail's Christmas Miracle. Okay. All right. So we'll and, just throw and that. And of course, all, all these books come out of hiding <laughs> in November. I bet they um, do. Prior to Thanksgiving, though I will say there's a whole group out there, as you probably know, that want Christmas in July. And that means Hallmark movies, Christmas books, not necessarily Amish. Um, it's a funny little thing because I've never, I mean, I guess it's like the Christmas stores, right? Um, the ones that are open all year round. I mean, after the pandemic's over, but they'll be open all year round and people, and they make a living <laughs> all year round. So I guess it's, it's part of, I guess it's a bit of a fantasy, but anyway, you know, you try and bring reality into it too. Well, tell us, let's get back to the Amish menorah and other stories. Mm -hmm. So what was the inspiration for, for this collaboration? You know, I, unfortunately well, I have not read any of the stories that are included in here, but you mentioned a little bit that you guys wanted to do something a little different. So each one of you wrote a story within this collection of stories. Yes, there's six stories. Uh, one of them, Jerry Eichers, is actually a few chapters uh, from a novel that's coming. So I guess you could call it a bit of a teaser. Uh, the novel is coming from the same publisher, Elk Lake Publishing in Massachusetts. Okay. I think they're quite near Plymouth. I have to look that up. But in any case, um, yeah, but the, it came to be what you're saying, to appeal to that segment of the Amish readership who want some reality mixed with the beauty and the story and the culture. And maybe hoping we could get some of the others to take a look because we knew they liked some of our other stuff. So I think it would say, let's, 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 we want to write something a little bit more reality, a little bit more, a bit of an edge to it. Uh, uh, so that people can see them as, as real people, uh, not just a fantasy. Um, because a lot of these people, uh, only see the Amish in terms of, uh, a tourism thing. If they come through, we have Amish here. There, there's about five communities or so in, in Montana, and a lot of people don't realize that. And they're spreading out, like my home province of Manitoba, right above North Dakota and Minnesota, it has Amish now. So um, we wanted to write stories that were more realistic. And so, and we also wanted to kind of, well, if the women do these anthologies, the female authors do them all the time. Mm -hmm. We're never in them. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to create one ourselves. Um, and and uh, we do know, and of course we know a lot of the female authors, so there's no problem with us and them. It's just that, you know, they're, they're used to gathering uh, together. So anyway, we gathered together and we did this. Um, and uh, when we were starting, I kind of just uh, kind of, Patrick and I kind of started with it and then the others, you know, joined us and came in with their ideas. But I had always wanted to use 
um, Patrick's title because it's so unusual. I said, I, I, that was part of the thing. We don't want to have the same covers that you see all the time because we're trying to do something slightly different. You know, we don't, we don't want the buggies in the picture. We don't want the bonus. There's so many like that. Right. There's the barn. There's the beautiful woman in the foreground. There's the, there's the guy in the background looking at her longingly, whatever. And um, so I said, if we use a title like the Amish Menorah, I said, that's going to be so different. And then we, our graphics artist um, in lockdown in Italy, um, she gave us that cover that you get more of a sense of something like the hiding place, um, you know, and Frank, uh, you, you know, right away, because it's a concentration camp, right, on the cover. Mm -hmm. and, and people are even said to me, what's a menorah got to do with the Amish? And I said, well, you need to read the story. I said, but I'll just tell you that there were, there was one last community of Amish still in Germany, because most of them had gone, you know, to America, Canada, etc., uh, years and years and years before. Um, but I said, there still were Amish in the Third Reich. And they did what they felt was right. They rescued Jews. Um, and that's a story most of you don't know. And that's why we want to use his title as a title for the collection. And I know that, uh, like I said, people are expecting a certain kind of cover. Um, but, you know, and of course, the people that didn't like the cover haven't said anything <laughs> to me. But the ones that did, you know, said, you know, we wait, you know, the beautiful woman, very different look, obviously European, that kind of European look. And now there's a story here. And then if you look on the back cover, it lists the other stories, you know, uh, the silo or Amish for a summer, um, 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 my story, Lone Star, ones that aren't your traditional, right, Amish titles that you see used. So um that was it yeah we wanted to do something very very different and well, still make it amish well i absolutely love the cover when i first saw it i thought oh that's just gonna stand out you know sometimes you come across a cover that just stands out on the bookshelf you know and and you guys that your your graphic artist did a wonderful job with that so tell us a little bit lone star is your story and just tell us a little bit about the story that you've written inside this collection um, I wanted to set it in a totally different time period. Um, sometimes people don't think about the fact that uh, the first Amish came to America in the early 1700s, prior to the revolution. And, and you know, they've been around a long time. And their clothing today reflects the clothing they wore in the 1880s, somewhere around there. And uh, I said, I want to do one set in the Old West because they were here in the Old West. Right. And that's where I have to say, I, I, I love to ride. I will go to the rodeo and then I get to, I get to cowboy up, as we say. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's fun. And I did that a lot in New Mexico. Oh, my goodness. And I did it. Anyway, I'm in cowboy. I mean, the Calgary Stampede Heartland is filmed here. There, you know, Yellowstone with Kevin Costner, which I've never watched, but it's down just a few miles south of us. So this is real Western country. And, you know, the Western culture is huge. It's not just Nashville. I'm just talking about the, the real cowboys and cowgirls and ranches. It spreads from the four Western provinces of Canada, like basically Minnesota 
to the coast. That's the kind of area it covers in Canada. And then right down below us, right? I mean, Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, you know, Utah, Nevada. I mean, it's huge. So it's kind of always been on my head. And I said, well, I'm gonna, I wanna do something. I'm gonna put the Amish there. And I, to be honest, I was thinking of, well, a very famous movie which was based on a story most people don't remember. The story was called The Ten Star. The movie became High Noon with Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly. And, and in that one, of course, everybody should know. If you don't, go watch it. Mm-hmm. But you should know in that one, she's a Quaker. And she doesn't want him to be the sheriff because she doesn't want the violence, right? right she right. basically abandons him on their wedding day because these gunmen, right, they're coming to town to deal with him, and he's going to have to fight back. And so she kind of takes off on the train for a while. And he's left, and he, in the film, he's trying to get support from all the people that basically his courage is protected, and nobody wants to help him because they're too afraid. And, you know, it ends where he takes his badge off after it's all over, throws it in the dirt. And, of course, Grace Kelly has returned, and they get on their buggy and they take off. Well, I said, well, suppose, suppose my character was asked to be sheriff. And he would say, no, no, I can't do that. I won't carry a gun. I won't wear a gun. And they said, no, we want you to do it without. I said, well, how would that work? How would you, would you have deputies that had guns? Would there be townspeople? To walk? Like, so it came out of basically the fact that his, Grace Kelly is the Quaker. And I thought, okay, let's make him the pacifist. And the woman that he loves in the story, the Grace Kelly character, if you will, not really, I just used that because mm-hmm. I didn't you know, think about her, I didn't base it on her, but how would you do that? Like how, what if he was just begged, please, please do something for our town. It's so, can't you do, maybe they'll respect you. So that's where it started. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to read your story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do not forsake me. Oh, my darling. <laughs> I know. And I'll, I'll think of Grace Kelly when, when I'm reading your story as well. So do you have that right in front of you somewhere? Do you have Yeah, it? I did. Uh, I actually saw. Yeah, I actually did read all your questions. <laughs> and, uh, well, how, I, about um, read us, how about you read us that first page? Yeah, I've got this first page here, so I'll just preface. It's called Lone Star, and people will say, well, that sounds like Texas. Well, it does sound like Texas, but this is 1874, and I decided just to use it anyway. So, um, Kansas, spring and summer, 1874. Saul Miller was driving his wagon into town for supplies. Passing his freshly planted cornfields, he thanked God. They were already sprouting in the warm, wet spring weather. He also thanked God he was not just going into town for flour and salt and tools. He was having lunch with a lovely young woman named Eve Sorensen. They had met on several occasions, but never really talked. She had told him she was interested in learning more about his Amish faith. Whether that was true or not, he had no idea. He was just grateful she wanted to dine with him. He had been a happier man once, always ready with a smile or a cheerful laugh until his young wife had been in a wagon rollover, killed along with an unborn child. This grief had not robbed him of his faith. Indeed, his faith had helped him survive the loss of his wife and child. 
but his smiles became few and far between, and his laugh ceased to exist. Issa Remsen made him smile more often. She was like a sunny day without a cloud in sight and no twister brooding on the horizon either. Her beauty, as far as he was concerned, was beyond description. One minute in her company made him feel glad to be alive, something he did not feel very much anymore. Saul realized he could be imposing. He was 6'6", broad-shouldered, and dark-complexioned. His somber disposition didn't help any. He regretted the unpleasant effect he could have on people, but he saw no change in the road ahead. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah's description of Jesus was how he saw himself. At 25, life was hard labor, hard prayer, and hard hope. Eve, although not of his faith, was a candle in a very dark room. Perhaps her light would grow, perhaps diminish. Page one. Oh, I love it. You, you gave me chills. I, you, you've definitely pulled me in. So, you know, I, as, as an author, you probably have seen those first page contests out there all the time. So that definitely would have gotten my vote. Um, but yes. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. First page or first line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, was... you know, there, there, well, you know, cause you're a writer, you, you have to do something with the first page, right? Yeah, you have to pull them in. <laughs> If you're going to do a quiet part, that's for later. You know what I mean? Like this, you know, something a little bit sleepier or something. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, you have to give them a reason to say, hmm, I better find out what goes on here. Exactly. Because that's what makes them turn the page and want to go on. You get, you know, I, you're a reader and, and a writer. So, you know, you pick up that first page. If you can't get through those first couple pages without saying, oh, come on, then you're not going to, you're not going <laughs> to. Well, we've all the been book. there. We've all been there. And yes, we've all I written think. pages like that too. We've written. Yeah, we've had, pages. fortunately, we get to throw them out before the public sees them exactly. if we're smart. Exactly. And we've all seen movies like that too, right? You, exactly. you, you know, Linda and I said, I wonder how this is going to do. Like, you know, you're looking at something on Netflix, we have no idea. Exactly. And said, well, let's, you know, we'll know in 10 minutes. Well, sometimes, you know, in five, you, it's just amazing. You, the script, the acting, the production, all those things you can tell very quickly. You go, this is not working. It, it just, it's not working. The magic isn't there. So yes. So yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. So we're all different, right? Every single, some of the stories are contemporary, like past is historical fiction, like mine. Um, but uh, and there's a bit of that in Jerry Iker's one, certainly too. Uh, but the other ones are more contemporary, uh, you know, happening in the present day. So it, it's, it's a mix. None of us knew what the others were writing. Um, and and uh, me, well, Pat and I did a lot of some editing, reading and talking with the guys. So we've read everything. I don't know if the other guys have read everything. Um, but and then, of course, uh, the publisher read and went over everything as well. So um yeah yeah so we're we will and just to anticipate another question of yours you wondered if we'd do anything again well just today or yesterday was finalized that there we would do another anthology for the fall and um as you know in publishing that doesn't mean we get to write it in the fall <laughs> it means we get to write it soon right? exactly. i mean it, it basically has to be with the publisher in august and um, it's just almost, I guess, like working in retail, right? Where friends in retail, they're ordering for winter in the summer, right? And they're ordering for summer in the winter. 
And I guess uh, that's it. But yes, this will be a volume that would be released uh, at the Thanksgiving Christmas season. So um, it's probably going to reflect that season. The same, the same six guys? I believe so. I, I, I don't think anybody's uh, said no to it. We, you know, you, with something like this, you just have to take the time and go to everyone and just say, hey, do you want to do this again? And I think they've been happy at the, with, with what's happened. I think they're happy with the, the way the book looks. Um, um, and I think they're happy with the response uh, from, from the public. So I think they're willing to do that again. I mean, it, it, it is interesting. I, I don't know who came up with the thing, the men of Amish fiction, but the guys. Like it's it, so. perfect. It's absolutely <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. It's set you guys apart, you know, and, and now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, you're absolutely right. There are so many women Amish authors and very, very few men Amish authors that I am tickled pink that you, <laughs> you guys have all come together to do um, uh, this collection. It is needed. And, and men do need to read um, Amish, Amish fiction. I have a few uh, loyal fans whose husbands read my books as well as the women. So you'd be surprised at how many women will probably get their, their husbands to read your book. If, if Ask them to read it. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that that's happened with your readers um, uh, be, because it's not always the case, as you know, and yet you spend a lot of time, just as I will, I, I spend, a, you know, you're going to spend as much time working on the male characters as I'm going to be spending on the female characters exactly. and, and the men. You know, like we're both, the idea that I'm only going to work and, you know, having this, you know, beautiful, intelligent woman and the guy's some kind of dweeb in the background, well, that doesn't work because the only way you're going to make the romance strong is if both characters are strong. They have to both be interesting, desirable, and, and if there's difficulties before the final thing, which of course there is, um, still, there have to be, you know, the readers have to say, well, I kind of like this guy. It can't just be, I like the woman, um, especially for a woman reader, <laughs> right? Exactly. They have to like the guys you put in there and, and want them to make it. You, they have to want them to make it. Now, of course, there may be several male choices and they have to decide between them, but yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, there, there's no question. I mean, I just remember, um, I'd had to stand, I, I'm not a confrontational person, but a few times they said, well, you're just writing chick books. Finally, I get tired of it. Right? <laughs> uh, I remember, well, one was in a ball uh, baseball stadium in El Paso. He said, well, you just write this. I said, have you read any of them? No, I don't read that. And I said, well, it's not what you think. I said, do you really honestly think uh, women of any age would read a story if the male characters weren't strong, if they weren't men? <laughs> I said, no. I said, they have to be heroic. I said, and they would be the kind of guy you would want to be identified with because they do brave things. They do bold things. They do strong things. And that's why the women fall in love with them. Exactly. I said, so you're not right. You know, yeah, oh yeah. Because I just say, come on, you guys, you, you watch movies. You know, you know there's always a love interest, always. And I said, so, you know, the idea that uh, uh, you were going to write books that women buy, but the the men in them won't be ones you'd like to emulate? I said, no. I said, they would not sell. Um, you've got to have 
the woman needs to be a heroine in her own right, but so does he. If you're going to get a strong female character interested in a man in your books, he's going to have to be someone worth falling in love for. In other words, the only reason Grace, Grace Kelly jumps off the train and runs back to help because she is in love with Gary Cooper, okay? <laughs> and Gary Cooper is a man, any real man, would want to make that stand. Exactly. You know, the, what it does in that film. So please, you know, this whole idea that this is, I don't know what, I think they're thinking of another era of Harlequin romances or something, you know, where the, the men are, I don't know. I don't know where they get, the idea from because it, romances have been with us a long time and if you go back to ones written in the middle ages the guys in nice and shining armor they have to be brave and strong right and those, so are, and those are the type of men that women fantasize about those are the type of no not to read about the you know what knight in shining armor though that as a woman that's that's what we want to hear you know so yeah so you kind of wonder where this came from that somehow, because it's a romance, the, 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 the guy in it is gonna be inconsequential. Okay. When they should know from film, wherever, wherever there's a love interest, the guy has to be worth loving. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he does. You know, well, the, we expect the woman to be beautiful and interesting, but the guy has to be in his own way too. Otherwise there's no spark. Exactly, exactly. Where can our listeners purchase this book? Well, these this will be available on all the ebook platforms. Okay. So, you know, Nook, Kobo, Kindle, Apple. Um, it's also, as an, and uh, it's going to be, it's available in paperback. And uh, it's uh, certainly uh, Barnes & Noble, Chapters, Indigo, but of course, Amazon. And uh, they can order them there. And of course, uh, if they are, uh, I don't know what's happening with bookstores, um, but you have a favorite bookstore that's actually opening or taking orders that you love to give them the business, they can most certainly get it for you. You know, you just have to give them the name and they'll look it up on their database, get the ISBN and they can bring it in. So it's not hard to get. Um, I think you'll like it. Uh, if you like Amish fiction, but also if you like Amish fiction, has a has a good, it has ro definitely romantic. Um, my story is romantic. It's you could say, well, it's a western, it's a western, but it's an Amish western. <laughs> so, um, but you know, the the woman is not just beautiful, but extremely bright and insightful. And um, it, it's and all the stories are like that. There, there's a love interest in every story for those who like it, but there's courage in every story too. And there's things that have to be faced and dealt with, with that courage. And um, the Amish are doing it. So in the story, so yes, it's Amish fiction. Yes, it's romance fiction, but it also has another element of, of, of realism that is quite strong. Well, it, it sounds absolutely wonderful. And what I'm excited about is by you coming on and doing the buggy talk with us, I'm hoping to get, well, Patrick's already scheduled to come on, but Thomas Nye and, and Amos, we get those, those guys on here too. Then our listeners who are primarily women, will be getting them excited about what you guys are putting together as well. So I'm excited. Yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds great. No, it'll be, it'll, it's great. Uh, having you connect with us and of course as you say that began with meeting Tom and Patrick a year ago um, but 
it's just great having you you run uh, a blog interview site like this that uh, we can talk about these things because um, I know that when if I publish with one of the bigger publishers, they have their own setups, right? And here you go, you got to get, and you get all these other kinds of interviews. It's kind of nice to do one just down to earth with someone that has a magnolia tree, <laughs> or at least knows what they are. Exactly. No, the first time I saw one, I didn't see one until I went to Mississippi oh. a few years ago. But the aroma was so rich. I mean, you know, this is to hear, you talk about, you know, coming into a culture where you don't, and that was the first time I saw a Confederate soldier's grave uh, was in Mississippi. Uh, you know, that's a whole different thing. I mean, you have to remember when we go back and look at our old family albums, we don't have a time where all of a sudden they're in Civil War uniforms. You know, if your family has had that background and a lot of families have in the East. Um, and that's startling to me when I see the grave sites. But anyway, the magnolia tree. You know, even though others complain about the leaves falling, <laughs> they are we're so big on the waterfront. There's a mall, and they had a, a perfume shop, and they even had essence of magnolia without any fillers. Yep, nothing, just and I, yeah, brought that home, <laughs> made people well, happy. I bet it did. Yeah, but anyway, well, thank you so much, Tracy. You're welcome. Well, I just want to thank you for spending time with us this week, and I look forward to reading all the stories in the Amish Menorah and other stories, along with any of your other new projects. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about your other projects, but you know what? I'll have you on again, and we'll talk about one of your other projects. Next week, we'll have Lori Strop-Smith as our guest to talk about Pockets of Promise, the first book in her pocket quilt series. So we'll see you next week on the Buggy Talk podcast.